Welcome once again to Devotional. This is uh, lesson number two for Sunday, December 9. Well, good morning to you. <laughs> I hope uh, you're not disappointed that if you were one of those early risers and uh, we listened to this early in the morning, uh, you didn't find today's episode that early. And that's because Pastor Ariel was a little tired. It's been a heavy duty weekend. We just had a yeah, well, two sermons, uh, baby dedication, and a meditation for a Christmas cantata. I was so blessed by the music, by the message. Uh, it was amazing. And I hope you were there, both from the Monroe and the Oakwood Church. And if you were there, I am confident you were blessed and encouraged. Um, so today, we're going to be looking at worshiping our Creator and Redeemer, which answers the questions that we started already looking at uh, on Sabbath afternoon, you know. Uh, we, we typically gravitate towards the how we worship and move into the liturgy, which has really very little to do with the actual act of worship, um, because worship needs is a response. And if it's a response, it means that there's been a prior experience that leads us to response. You don't say thank you to someone just randomly in the street or even to your wife. You know, if you're sitting there looking at the stars and all of a sudden you turn and say thank you, your spouse is going to say, Why? <laughs> I haven't done anything to you. And that's worship. Worship is a response of something you've experienced from God. And of course, um, this lesson is pretty simple today. Um, one of the sentences says, Worship happens when God's creation responds to Him with words of adoration and thankfulness for what He has done. Um, it emphasizes the gratefulness that embodies worship. Worship Again, just like sometimes the word sin, right? It's so abstract. Um, we don't really distill it and, and grasp it. Can I understand it? Can I conceptualize it in my mind? Worship is, well, when you, when you attach the word gratitude, it helps you understand the heart of worship. Worship is a response that embodies many components. Adoration, um, that this person um, becomes the most important thing in your life. You adore this person. Um, actually, in Spanish, that's how you say worship. Um, adoración, that's, that means worship, if I were to trans translate it literally. So when you adore someone, and we, we use that word, I think we misuse it, when we say, oh, I adore that puppy. Oh, that's adorable. Adorable means that that is something worthy of worship. So um, I know that with the change of time, certain words lose their meaning or their meanings get shifted. But that, I think, helps us understand how, what worship entails, gratitude, thankfulness. Why, right? I can only think of one reason, uh, or at least one major reason, as to what would provoke and evoke from us this level of gratitude that leads us to worship. I'm thinking of Luke chapter 7, verse 47. Jesus spells it out for us quite simply, quite beautifully. The context is someone has responded to him with gratitude and thanksgiving. And she's being criticized for doing this. Actually, we just preached about this uh, not too long ago. Um, so you're, you may be familiar with the story already. Um, Luke 7, 47 says, For this reason I say to you, her sins, here it is, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And if worship is a, a response of love and gratitude, 
if I have been forgiven little, then I also worship little. And I cannot guarantee you that there, there ought not be any human being that thinks or feels themselves justified in worshiping little because they have been forgiven little. Who, who would do this, right? I'm asking myself, who would ever love little? And I believe Jesus is, is trying to make a point. And his point is not that you can love much or love little. I believe that you can only love. And I think I may have shared this with you already. Um, when my wife and I were dating, we were talking about some of our past experiences, past relationships. I shared with her what a young lady that I used to have a relationship with would, would tell me. You know, and it, it, it sounded a lot like the language we use in, in, in our high school age, right? Uh, I like you but I don't like you like you. I love you, but I don't love you, love you. And that's love much, love little concept. And Aline, my wife said something powerful. She says, that's, that's just a big facade. That's just smoke screens. Either you love or you don't, period. And I believe God would, would agree. When you know Jesus and Peter are, are after the resurrection, they have just done another miraculous catch because Jesus tells him again, throw your net on the other side. And they're having breakfast. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He doesn't say, do you really love me? Do you love me? Love me is simply, do you love me? And in this parable, Jesus, when he, he's trying to be gentle with Simon, who used to be a leper, who had been healed of leprosy and yet was not, was showing no gratitude to Jesus. Jesus is always gentle. He was being gentle with you either love me or you don't. But he, he softens it by saying you love me a little bit. Why would I ever get to love? How could I ever love God little? Because somehow in my mind, he has forgiven little. I believe this right now is a powerful insight. It, this is why, you know, in my sermons and in many other literature and other preachers and teachers have been warning us for decades about the dangers of legalism and liberalism. These two factions, I, I, it amazes me, right? Um, how we can preach against these things and yet they're still around. They were around in the time of Jesus. Um, they were called the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the uber-conservatives and the uber-liberals. And of course, there's gradations to both extremes. So I'm not, though I'm speaking in generals, I'm not saying, you know, that this applies to every single person. Um, but both, both of these approaches to spirituality, both of these approaches to God will lead me to the same uh, conclusion of loving little. How, right? Well, with legalism, um, I've done things that, yes, I believe God has done some of the effort, but so have I. And so... God has done some parts. I have done some parts. Therefore, I love in part. I can only love God in part because, hey, I've done some of the work here. I keep the commandments. I, you know, that's what the, the rich young ruler said to Jesus. Jesus says, if you want to enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. Oh, I've done them since I was little. I've kept all of them. What else do I need to do? You know, forgiveness. What do you need to do? in order for forgiveness to be given to you. There's only one thing you can do, and that's receive it. Can you boast of that? 
can you can can there be any room for boasting any efforts any boasting of works when you have received if <laughs> my two-year-old she's learning uh, how to when when to say things and sometimes she will sneeze and um we will say, bless you in Spanish, salute. And she doesn't say anything. So we try to teach her, right? Uh, so we say to her, thank you. And you know what she says? You're welcome. <laughs> she hasn't done anything. It's the same thing sometimes when we feed her, when I put a bowl of granola in front of her and she just starts chowing down. And we're trying to teach her, you know, good manners of saying, thank you, daddy. Thank you, mommy. So we'll put the granola in front of her and we'll, she stays quiet and we're looking at her and she stays quiet and then we'll say thank you and she'll look at us and say you're welcome de nada <laughs> and we'll chuckle a bit but we chuckle because it's funny that she would say you're welcome when she hasn't done a thing except receive it doesn't work that way and legalism pretends that we receive something that only God could do, but then we tell God, you're welcome. That's legalism. Legalism tells God, you're welcome, when all we've done is receive. I hope this is making sense for you. Um, and because of that, there can be little to no love. And when there's little to no love, it is impossible to worship. We need something behind worship, and that something can only be love awakened by the everlasting love of God, His grace, His forgiveness. Now, we just looked at legalism, right? Let's spend a little time in liberalism. Why does liberalism also lead me to a poor appreciation, a deficient appreciation of God's forgiveness, therefore leading me to love little, which really means to not love at all? Liberalism, uh, in general, I'm speaking about this, um, I phrased it this way. Legalism says, I've earned it. Legal, liberalism, um, liberalism says, I don't need it. I'm going to repeat that to you. And I want you to think about what I've just said. Legalism tells God, I've earned it. Liberalism tells God, I don't need it. Pastor, why are you saying that? Because of some of the literature that I've read and because of the conversations that I've had in 20 plus years in ministry with individuals that subscribe to this um, philosophy, to this way of relating to spirituality within Christianity, um, there's a downplay in certain things. Um, many of them question the existence of Satan. When you question the existence of Satan, you have a huge conundrum now. How do you explain the existence of sin? And so, in liberalism, to relate to the question of sin, then you begin to question the existence of sin. <laughs> what sin really is? Is it that evil? Is it a, a human construct? Is it, you know, a psychological deficiency? Is it a lack of culture, sophistication, education? Can we humans solve that problem? And in, within liberalism, the answer is yes. It's the same. It's a carbon copy of liberalism, I mean, of legalism. It, it, it focuses on creature effort, creature, whereas in the other one is creature efforts for working for salvation. This one is mental efforts, sophisticated mental efforts to relate to spiritual issues. And you cannot 
do away with sin with psychology. You cannot do away sin with more education, with a higher social status, or none of those things. Human efforts in relating to sin will always miserably fail. And because there is this <clears throat> excuse me, downplay of what sin and Satan and that whole concept of the reality of the destructiveness of sin, when, I mean, if God forgives me for breaking a toothpick, how much gratitude will there be? But if God has to forgive me for breaking love, for breaking a relationship between me and Him, for recognizing how utterly destructive pride and self-sufficiency is. Liberalism can't see that. It's, it's actually liberalism foments, provides plenty of room for a prideful approach to human intellect and human capacity. It may be, you know, with good intentions. They, they may be reacting to the legalistic and in some degrees, you know, honestly, I believe that liberalism is, for the most part, a reaction, at least within Adventism. This swinging of, of um, the, the poles, right, the, from going from, from one end to the other, I believe that much of what we see, at least within the liberal camp, is a reaction to what these individuals experience in their childhood or in their churches, their families. Um, so they react to it and they go to another extreme. What is a balance? I mean, how do you know when you're balanced? Everybody claims to be balanced, right? The, the, the legalists will say, well, I'm balanced. And the liberals will say, well, we're balanced. And how do you know? How can I know for myself? And this is not even about how can I tell if so-and-so is balanced or are they legalists? Me. At the end of the day, what matters is me because I am the only one that can make choices about myself. Well, I think the story that we just read is a pretty simple way of evaluating, letting it become my litmus test of whether I am centered on Christ, balanced, whether I am worshiping, whether I am loving much. I wrote it down so that I can say it correctly. A personal testimony of a balanced approach to grace, to Jesus, a grace-focused spiritual view, a Jesus-focused spiritual view for me personally, is when I find myself expressing my personal gratitude to God spontaneously in song, in service, in surrender. Jesus never solicited Mary to do this. It came from her own heart. Jesus didn't have an appeal. Mary f looked in her life and said, how can I express my gratitude? How can I let you know how much I appreciate what you have done for me? And out of her own heart, she chose to do this. That to you can be a personal testimony that you're worshiping because you love much. And you love much because your heart is moved when you see how much you have been forgiven. I'm going to close with this. I feel it's necessary. I don't want you to now finish this podcast and say, well, I guess I have to go and make myself feel bad about myself. Um, there, that's legalism, by the way. When you go and try to find ways to feel guilty, <laughs> that's not the religion of Christ. The reality is this, though. You still have uh, things within you, even after conversion. 
you still battle with a sinful nature. It's not even about the externals. It's about what's been built in. We have inherited this. What conversion does is it adds the presence of the Holy Spirit, um, which now pre-creates in us a new birth, a new person. So we have these new desires, these new aspirations. We have a response. You've experienced it. You've shed tears at times when you've heard a message, when you've read the scriptures, and you were moved as you, you were getting glimpses of this enormous love of God for you personally. But that needs to be nurtured. You cannot have just those experiences sporadically and say, oh, well, that was nice, and, and hope that sometime in the future it happens again. What we need to experience, what you need to understand is, you can't make yourself feel bad in a legitimate way. You can't say, I'm going to feel bad about this. I ate too many cookies yesterday, so I'm going to feel bad about that. What we usually pick about what we need to feel bad about are things that we can change ourselves. That's not how God wants this to be provoked. God does not want to provoke us to love Him because we ourselves have made ourselves feel bad about things that we think we should feel bad about. What you and I need to experience on a daily, daily basis is repentance. Repentance has a two parts, and we've talked about this in a previous podcast. I'm just going to briefly summarize it here. Repentance has the component of revelation and response. God, God reveals to you what He wants you to see about yourself that He can heal through forgiveness and grace. So we receive repentance from God. And we receive repentance from God when we come into His presence intentionally. When I come into His presence in prayer, when I come, and I actually, it's mostly in prayer. Of course, when I approach the Word of God, when I choose to, throughout the day, to listen to a sermon, God can use that message spoken by a human being to reveal things, to stir within me the things that need to come to the surface. And when God does that to me, you know the difference. You know the difference between things that you yourself can make yourself feel guilty about. Oh, I'm so evil. Oh, you know, like I said, I eat too many cookies. Well, God will say, no, you lost your temper. You lost your temper and you hurt your family. You lost your temper and you hurt this church member. When God brings that to us, I mean, my little girl's crying, right? <laughs> uh, they're, they're, they have awakened. Um, this is what provokes love. Because God begins to show you what He needs to forgive in your life, to cleanse you from, because this will destroy you. This is serious. This sin is serious. And when you recognize that God has forgiven you and you receive it as a gift, it moves you. I don't want to make this podcast uber long. This is the heart of worship. The fact that you have been forgiven. My question for you is, how much do you truly believe you have been forgiven? The answer is in your daily spontaneous responses in song, in service, and in surrender.